It's your Thursday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Happy to be back in the uh, daily delivery chair for another day. Hope you guys are having a good one out there as well. Plenty to get to on today's show, as there often is this time of year. Um, Chip Scoggins, Star Tribune columnist, joins me here in just a little bit. Two subjects that I wanted to engage Chip on today. Number one, the Timberwolves. Number two, the Wild. Those are the two teams we're really paying a lot of attention to right now as they, you know, the Wolves right in the thick of postseason play. And I consider the play in postseason, even if we're not designating that as playoffs, and even if the statistics for that kind of disappear into the ether, um, the play-in is still postseason, right? It's after the regular season. You're trying to get into the playoffs, and this is still meaningful uh, meaningful basketball, uh, maybe even more so than, than some playoff games end up being. So I got Chip on the Wolves heading into Friday's big game. Now we know that's against Oklahoma City, which beat New Orleans in the other play-in game, the 9-10 game in the West on Wednesday night. So it will be Oklahoma City at the Wolves, 8.30 p.m. Friday. Chip and I will talk through the Wolves, where they stand after blowing that lead to the Lakers, and uh, just kind of where where this whole thing sits after a very eventful last few days. Also engaged Chip on a discussion of the Wild, their goalie situation, and just kind of where they stand heading into the postseason now with a lot of injuries mounting and some questions for for that team as well. We'll also get to an interesting Gophers tennis story at the end of today's show. First, though, what did I miss? So I was at Target Field on uh, on Wednesday, first time I had been to a game this season, hadn't made it over for the Houston series, um, scheduling conflicts kept me away, but I wanted to at least get over there sometime for the first homestand. I didn't have a full day to do it yesterday, but I got over there for what in the past might have been about a third of the game, and in this case t- turned out to be more like a half of the game, and I, I want to talk about that in a little bit just because I I hadn't felt the uh I hadn't felt the rule changes fully yet, right? Like you you can you can understand the you know the pitch clock, you can watch it on TV, you see the giant, you know, digital clock in some of the frames and you understand that the game is moving faster. But when you're when you're watching on TV, you're probably a little bit more distracted than you are at the ballpark, right? You're at, at the ballpark at least I'm, you know, your senses are engaged on a lot of different things from time to time, but you're, you're more or less, you, you've, you've decided you're going to go to this place to watch a game. You're not, not as easily perhaps distracted or prone to multitask as you are when you are at a game. Now, I, I hadn't been to a game yet this year, so I wanted to, I wanted to feel what it felt like to be at a game, to, to understand what it felt like to be part of this kind of new experiment in baseball with the pitch clock. So I went and just kind of, Tried to tried to remember, tried to kind of take down what 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 felt different, what felt the same, and it was just really interesting. I think Phil Miller and I have talked about this on the, on the podcast before, and I think he was right when he said, you know, you don't necessarily feel it in the middle of the game unless you're kind of focused in on the clock. And to be fair, I was kind of locked in on the clock because I wanted to see how how far pitchers take it down to the number. If there's any kind of gamesmanship that goes on to, to try to steal some seconds here and there if pitchers or pitchers or hitters are kind of you know wanting to uh, you know wanting to to gain a little bit of an edge or feel like they need a little bit of a mental reset um but you know was watching in the first inning in particular watching Sonny Gray operate he was working so fast that like you know right around the the 7th the 6 or 7 second mark 
So, you know, really eight seconds or so after getting the ball back from Ryan Jeffers, he was already into his windup again in that 15-second nobody-on-base pitch clock. And he was just in a in a really quick rhythm, in a, getting into a quick groove. And it was just interesting to watch because it's, you know, I think you would notice sometimes before if a pitcher was working fast and it, it felt good. It felt like there was a flow to the game, and now everybody works that way. And, you know, this is a novelty to me because I hadn't seen it. You guys, maybe some of you have been to a game already this season. You're like, yeah, we get it. We, we've experienced the same thing. To me, it was experiencing this for the first time. So I thought that piece was interesting, that the rhythm, the pace all of a sudden feels faster. But you don't miss the in-between time. You don't miss the time that, that's that's gone, that's been eliminated. You don't miss the guys stepping out of the box, adjusting their batting gloves. You don't miss the pitcher stalking around the mound. Um, you you don't miss that at all because that that's time that's just essentially wasted. That's time that's really not a part of any any meaningful action. And you know the other thing I've thought about is how this is kind of how games used to be, right? This is this is not changing baseball into something that it never was. This is this is kind of a, a correction to this time creep that's happened over the years. Now baseball has never had a clock like this, but it used to occur naturally like this where pitchers and batters would work this fast. So it felt to me like the pace was natural, even if it was a little bit foreign from what has has been experienced in the past several years and even decades. So I really enjoyed that aspect of it, just, just the fact that it didn't feel forced, that it felt natural to me was important. Now, I did feel like Sonny Gray a couple times would like, throw a pitch and then kind of turn around and you know kind of walk back slowly to the mound so he couldn't get the ball back from from the catcher and then the, you know the the clock doesn't start until he catches the ball from the catcher but as soon as he catches it that 15 seconds is ready to go starting up again and uh, so I thought that piece of it was fairly interesting as well <clears throat> now like I said I didn't have time for a full game I just wanted to experience this a little bit I went Unfortunately, one of the last things I saw was Kyle Farmer getting hit by that pitch in the jaw. That was a terrible sight to see. It sounds like the jaw is not broken somehow. Rocco Baldelli calling that some sort of miracle. Hopefully he's okay and will be back on the field relatively soon. But yeah, you just looked at that and you looked at the injuries now mounting for the Twins like uh, like Lavelle Enil III wrote about. Um, you know, you already have Max Kepler out, Joey Gallo out, you know, Carlos Correa out, and it's to start the year, you already had Alex Kirilov and Jorge Polanco. I mean, that's a lot of offensive firepower already missing. And you know, this is a team that overhauled its training staff before the year in a ho- in hopes of avoiding the same sorts of injury catastrophes they had last year. Now, even Byron Buxton had to leave this game early. It looks like he's going to be okay, but you never know with him. Like the injuries mounting already for this team, it's a good thing that they can pitch uh, because the hitting is taking a beating right now. But they are eight and four right now after that win, three to one against the White Sox. But um, usually, if I go to a game and I have a little over an hour to spend, in this case, I could be there for about an hour and ten minutes before I knew I had to head out and get back for for another work engagement. Um, so I leave after after an hour and 10 minutes, and it was after four innings about to go into the fifth inning. Now, in the past, I've done similar things, and I feel like in the past, a lot of the times, and maybe this is just you know remembering the worst, but in the past, I feel like a lot of times that would have gotten me through three innings at the most. These games 
that used to drag, especially these day games where it's hot. And yesterday was hot. It was hot, especially for you know, those record temperatures here for April 12th yesterday. But it was it was just plain hot if you were out at that game. Those games can drag on. They can feel longer than they even are. Um, but getting to see almost half the game by being there barely over an hour was a new experience as well. And it just it makes me want to go back to watch more. And obviously, I'll go back to watch more as a you know a member of the working media. But in this case, I was just kind of there to feel what it felt like to kind of check out how fans seemed to be engaging with the game. I was kind of walking the walking around the 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 perimeter, watch from different vantage points, like I like to do, like a lot of people like to do. And by the way, those people have more time to drink. I wrote about that yesterday. Twins have extended beer sales into the eighth inning now because games are moving so fast. We will see what the consequences or the results of that are as time goes on, but uh, giving people more of a chance to consume because the games are shorter. Um, These are just interesting things we're going to watch all throughout the year, but it felt good to be at a game that was moving a lot faster, and that to me is the bottom line right now. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. All right, let's bring in Star Tribune columnist Chip Scoggins right now, who, judging by our pre-recording conversation, has some strong feelings about the Timberwolves game. And judging by his column that appeared in Wednesday's paper, also has some uh, has some opinions about how the Wild should proceed in goal in the playoffs once those start here in just a few days. So I want to get Chip on both of those subjects. Um, Chip, I went fairly long on the Wolves coming off of that game, but having kind of a little bit of a time to let it simmer a little bit, let it settle down. Um, I'm still just as fired up. So I want to hear you first though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, going in they're they're shorthanded and it's going to be, you know, a tough ask, but it also, and I'll preface this by saying I didn't get to see the first three quarters because I was writing off the wild, but I got home right at the end of the third quarter, but following it on Twitter and, and on the radio on the way home, Sounds like they were doing everything they wanted to do offensively. It sounds like the typical Timberwolves where when you think something's going to happen, they do the exact opposite, and they were playing well. The offense was uh, really flowing. The ball was moving. Cat was making shots. Um, And so when you get a 15-point lead, it's hard to come back and have a moral victory that you kept it closer for. I'm sorry. That's just – I mean, we've seen this too many times – what was the stat they put up there that they've had the most 10 point? Yeah, I think it's 18, blow- the 18 blown leads of 10 points or more this year. Yeah. And, and that was the game, Mike. Those final two minutes were awful. Terrible. But between the shots, the turnovers, just the sloppy play. I mean, it felt like the Lakers doing everything in their power to let the Wolves, to give the Wolves that victory. And they just could not take it. And, uh, you know, just the, the offense, how stagnant it became. And I thought the TNT crew, Barkley and Shaq, and then did a good job with the breakdowns last after the game where they showed the the switching that uh, the Lakers did. Yeah. Creating some mismatches, and, and the Wolves just did not take advantage of that. Um, I thought Cat became really tentative and settled. Uh, yes. Now, that probably had to do with the fact that he was in foul trouble. 
Yes. Um, and it was worried about fouling out, so that affected the way he played. But, but I mean, to get two shots in fourth quarter in overtime, I mean, it's just not going to work. Um, so, uh, missed opportunity. I mean, absolutely a missed opportunity. Well, I, yeah, yes, absolutely. The missed opportunity is, is kind of the, the way you have to, to frame it and just how bad they were down the stretch of that game. Alan Horton, the excellent Wolves radio guy, tweeted a couple stats that were just mind-boggling. The Wolves were 0 for 9 with four turnovers from the field over the final six minutes of regulation and still were able to get to overtime because Conley made yeah. those three free throws. And over the final 11 minutes of the fourth quarter in overtime, they missed 14 of their 16 shots and had eight turnovers in that span. I mean, just... well, it, that's because the Lakers were equally bad. Yes. I mean, the turnovers and missed shots that they had, I mean, they had, they turned the ball over twice trying to inbound the ball. Yes. <laughs> yes. Gave the wolves a chance. Yes. I mean, it was just, you know, as I, as I tweeted, is like, just because something is dramatic doesn't mean it's being well played. I know. That's what, <laughs> I know. That's a, it was like, no, you take it. I'll take it. You take it. You know, it, it just went back and forth. I mean, Kyle Anderson dribbles the ball off his foot and has a backcourt violation. Right. Uh, uh, Dorian Prince throws one, airmails one into the stands. Um, yes. It just, it was so sloppy. Um, and I think that's where the frustration comes from is that, that game was there. I mean, it wasn't yes. like the, the Lakers just overpowered them. Um, they made a shot, you know, there, and, and then Anthony Davis gives them a gift by, you know, bumping Mike Conley there in the corner. Um, yes. So, but the the offense becoming stagnant and not figuring out a way to take advantage when they switched off on on Cat and they had Reeves, who's you know, I don't know how much shorter and lighter than he is than <laughs> yeah but they just did not take advantage of it and and i didn't see this i saw the replay of 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 uh ant spill but clearly uh was not right um and that's a concern going into friday night too is like where is is he at physically because he just was not he was just not right you know you could tell that it was obvious yeah i mean he missed shots that he normally makes he was he was very tentative in that fourth quarter, especially just kind of noting that he, you know, probably didn't feel like he was fully capable physically. And but even before he got, even before he took that spill, he was not having a very active game. And you know, maybe some of that is that Cat was rolling, Conley was rolling. He was taking kind of a third wheel approach, but he's someone they lean on so heavily in those crunch yeah. time situations. And whenever he got the ball, he was looking to pass out of it, even when he wasn't double teamed. And that was the thing that that tells you. Something must not have been right with him physically in in that game. But you know, and those guys were probably gassed at yeah. the end. I mean, they all, all the starters played forty plus minutes, I think, because it went into overtime. And because the bench is so thin, they tried Nate Knight for like two minutes. That was a disaster. That was all they could do. He was like a minus seven in two minutes. They had to be like, nope, get him out of here. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I thought um, Nikhil Alexander Walker gave them good minutes, but you know, beyond that, off the bench, they just didn't really have a whole lot going and Noel was okay, but you know, just, just in general, they did, they had no depth with the injuries they have. And obviously the, the go bear suspension, but here's, here's the thing, Chip, the the thing that I will say beyond that is, you know, they, they got a lot of calls in the first half in particular, they got the call on Davis on that foul on Conley, which, which could have gone either way. I don't know how much he, yeah. he definitely got into his space. I think that was the, the correct call, but I don't think they would have been screaming if that hadn't been made. Um, to, to say after the game, to start complaining about the officiating after the game no. again, for, for Finch to say, 
you know, Cat was in a real rhythm until they until they whistled him to the bench and just just the just the whole thing with this team complaining about officiating. I'm just I'm done with it. That game was not won or lost because of officiating. It was won or lost because you could not execute a single offensive possession in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that is not the time to start complaining about the officiating. Um, I didn't see the – I just saw it on Twitter the, when Cat had the back-to-back uh, – what do you have, fouls in the first half within like yes. 10 seconds or so. Um, you know, the fifth one where he uh, he pulls down Anthony Davis on the rebound, that's a foul. That was a foul, yeah. That's absolutely a foul. Um, when you have – I think they finished with 24 turnovers, Mike. There's yeah. 45 turnovers in that game. 45. Yeah, so sloppy. But when you have 24 turnovers and you shoot the way they do and you're uh, – your offense is as ineffective as it was. Don't complain about the officiating. I mean, th- this whole idea that the officials are out to get a couple of weeks ago, Rudy Gobert said, literally said the officials were in on it to help the Sacramento Kings. beat them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Sacramento Kings. Come on. I mean, they have to stop with this martyrdom because it, it's, right. it's self-fulfilling. I mean, it's a self-fulfilling process. It is. Like, it absolutely is. It, and it's in their head, and they complain so much, and it's just so distracting. And that, I'm sorry, let's not go with it. When you play that poorly down the stretch in the fourth quarter and overtime, you forfeit the right to complain about the officiating. Yeah, I mean the, you know, the thing is, I, I think that the, the missed opportunity is that Memphis is clearly, I would think, a better matchup for them than Denver. Denver's just so good. So you know, Jokic is is beyond. Yeah. Beyond this world, um, you know, and the missed opportunity is they would have been in no matter what if they win that game. And now they're still fighting for their playoff lives in this Friday game. Um, now it's you know they could still get in and play Denver, and I think they could they could make a series out of it because I don't think Denver is great. I think Denver is is very good, but Denver has been vulnerable in the playoffs. But I mean, where do you where do you see this team regrouping after losing that game? Now reincorporating Gobert having an uncertainty about Ant's physical status. I mean, he, can, he was wearing the tape in that game after he, he took that spill. Yeah. I mean, what, what's the what's your outlook for Friday now? Well, I've given up trying to figure out this team. Yeah. I mean, it is – if if anybody that bets on this team is is a fool because yes. they can look great, they can look horrible, they can – and you know, I have no idea how they're going to play uh, Friday. The, the one, you know, caution I have is – just not knowing where Ant is physically. Yes. Um, you know, uh, Chris Finch said after the game that he was cramping. So I don't know if that played a bigger role than him falling on his, um, you know, on his shoulder. But he just wasn't right. No, he wasn't. And not. So can he can he get himself back physically? You know, in a couple of days here. You know, he's young, so you hope so. But I, I you know, this team can play so well at times. But then they always find a way to um, have that stretch where they just completely unravel. And so it's – you talk about is this matchup good or that matchup good? I I just have no faith in them because they just seem to always kind of implode. Um, even when they're playing well, they'll have the, – you know, the ball will start sticking. Yeah. Um, they, they, you know, they just have these lapses. So, um, you know. I yeah I think for them probably you'd rather play Memphis than than Denver but they got to win a game here and I yeah. you know I, I think I you know I think they'll win that game even yeah. if Ant is not you know a hundred percent or you know eighty percent or whatever he's at I still think 
you know, getting Gobert back will help him defensively. And then obviously if Cat can have a, a you know, a performance like he did the first three quarters or the first yeah. half. Um, so, but it's, but I, 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 you know, this team is so hard to figure out, Mike. I, I honestly yeah. don't know what Wolves we're going to see on Friday night. No, it will be at home. So at least they have that going for them. But yeah, yeah you're right. And they, you know, the other missed opportunity is the, you know, with, with guys banged up with guys, <laughs> maybe gassed at the end of this season, carrying an extra load. I mean, you would have had an extra few days of no games rest. And now you're going to have to play Friday. And then you're going to turn around if you win that game and you're going to open that series Sunday in Denver at altitude. So good yeah. luck with all that. Um, <laughs> Chip, uh, let's, let's, let's shift gears. You wrote, you were at the wild game. Like you said, you wrote about the goalies and I think you wrote about it in a sensible way. I think a lot of us who have just been watching this team, say it's got to be Gustafson at least in game one and probably more, uh, assuming he plays well. Um, Fleury's got the credentials. It would have been absurd to think at the beginning of this season that that the goalies would have flip-flopped in, in their kind of pedigree. But here we are. Gustafson's been one of the best goalies in the yeah. league this year. He hasn't had the workload as some of the other top goalies, but he's played enough down the stretch and has played well enough in big games against good teams, has been consistent enough all year. It just feels obvious, except for the fact that they seem to love Flurry. Well, that's it, and and I think if we just look at it a practical matter, you know, there was so much mystery going into that game one last year. But I think if we step back and look at it, it's like Billy Aaron was not going to trade for a future Hall of Famer to have him sit at the deadline to have him sit on the bench in game one. It just wasn't going to happen. By the same token, let's use that same logic. Gustafson has the second best statistics of any goalie right now. Yeah, you're gonna put you're gonna put that guy on the bench. <laughs> I mean, no, I mean I know he doesn't have the pe- the playoff pedigree and, and resume that that Fleury does, but he's he's been better. He deserved he's earned it. He's been a better goalie, and he's been a more consistent goalie. So to me, it's just it's it's you know, I think it's logical. I think it's going to happen. But what I do think Dean Evison learned from last year is, you know, you can make a switch before panicking before game six you know when you're facing an elimination game they they you know they they aired in letting flurry have the first five games um and then going to talbot last year i i think they will have a rotation but i think it's when we say rotation it's not you know it's not going to be gustus and flurry gustus and flurry like that it's right. um if you lose go to flurry if he doesn't play well go to flurry if you know if, if then if he plays poorly you go back you, you basically ride the hot hand knowing you have a guy that you trust um so I, I think they'll definitely both play, but I just don't think there's any question who the game one uh, starter should be. Yeah, I think it's absolutely true. And, you know, I think one thing that you can point to with Gustafson, even if he doesn't have the kind of background or, or pedigree in these big games, A, you got to start somewhere, and B, yeah, his, yeah. his style is one that, you know, he's he's not of the spectacular save. He's not of the kind of up and down you're not trying to like catch lightning in a bottle here. The, the thing that's been really good about him this year is that he's been so steady that he's just in the right place. Like the puck just seems to hit him. Like that's kind of what you need in the playoffs. Whereas flurry, I get it. He's done it before he makes spectacular saves, but he he's kind of all over the map. And sometimes that's a little unsettling in the playoffs to me. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing that's really stood out about Gus's and just how calm he's been just kind of, you know, steady, I mean, he's been a rock in there. I mean, he's, you know, there's been a couple blips, but he's just, like, it just comes down to, he's had a better season. He's been better. Yes. I mean, it's like, 
don't overthink this and think, well, we got to go with the guy who has playoff experience and he's, you know, he's a future Hall of Fame. No, go with the guy who's been better. And, uh, and I think it's, you know, I, I think they will. And I think it's, you know, I think Dean has a pretty good plan in mind. The thing I would worry about is Mike, they're getting beat up now. Yeah, I know. I mean, he's, you know, and you got Kirill back and he scored last night and Dean said he thought he got better as the game went on, but you know, losing neck. Eck I mean, is huge. Yeah. That that is a massive blow. And then, you know, Johansson, who's just been great for him since arriving, he has to leave in final thirty seconds for you know a cheap shot to the ribs on a cross check. I mean, we don't know his status. Dean didn't have an update right after the game. So, you know, they're they're crossing their fingers and that's not a major injury. But um if I'm Dean, I take my minor league team to Nashville on Thursday night. No starters are playing in that game. No need. You know, I, there's no need. Just, you know, do your best to get as healthy as you can going into the playoffs. And and I wouldn't run the risk of – I know they want to – you want to kind of be uh, confident in the way you're playing going into the playoffs. But I, to me, with what's happening right now, I'd rather just have guys fresh and avoid the injury risk on Thursday. My minimum – let's finish with this. My minimum expectation – a couple of weeks ago for this to be a successful season for the Wolves and the Wild was the Wolves had to make the playoffs, not just to play in, and the Wild needed to win a series. I think my my confidence level is a little higher in the Wolves, even though the bar is lower for the Wolves. Where are you at with, with both of those things? I think you already said you think the Wolves yeah. win Friday. You think the Wild can win this, can win a series, whoever they're going to play against? You know... I, I do. I do think the the Wolves will win. I think they'll get in. The Wild's interesting because, um, we know hockey's weird, and if you get a hot goalie, you can steal it. And but I think that you know losing Eck, that's that's a big blow. Um, you you, you wonder if Goudreau's going to be able to if, if that you know Boldy and now <laughs> you know Hanson if he's not yeah. injured if that line because they're going to need two lines to score if that line can continue to to produce. Um, you know, I, can he win? Sure, because you got you're you have a good defensive structure. They're a good defensive team. You have a goalie who's played well. Now he has to prove it in, and you have a superstar. Yeah. Who, yes, he's still coming back, and but if Kirill gets hot, so yeah, you absolutely can win a series. Um, but you know, Mike, with this this year, always felt like a transition year for me for them with yeah. what they were doing with the salary cap problems they had with the breezy suitor things i didn't have a you know a high bar to begin with with them because i felt like this was a this is sort of a transition period for them yeah so um that's not the you know lower expectations or anything but but you know i i always felt like this is you know going to be kind of a pivot year where they're trying to get out from under these penalties and still stay competitive while they're you know giving young players an opportunity to grow and then make that you know leap here in a couple years so but it yeah, I mean, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if they won a series, but you know, it also surprised me if they don't. You know? Yeah, and the bar probably changed a little bit when they got on that hot streak, but I don't know if that yeah. was all. You know how how sustainable that was, how good this team really is. I guess we'll find out in the playoffs how how much they've they've grown. That they've had competitive series each of the last two years. I think that's the bare minimum expectation. But I think to yes. to yeah. feel like this is a successful season, you can't just keep doing the same thing over and over again. You it would be an acceptable season, but not an ex, but not a successful one if they don't win a series this year, I don't that's, think. Yeah, that's it. I mean, at some point you gotta win a series. I mean, just yeah. get to the playoffs getting knocked out in the first round is getting pretty yeah. old. But um yeah, so we'll see. I mean, but these injuries uh, you know, are are starting to stack up on them here. Yeah, they are. 
All right, Chip. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. All right, brother. We'll see you. Like I said, at the jump, the Timberwolves will play Oklahoma City Friday night. Um, Timberwolves, by the way, were the only team of the four play-in games so far that did not win as the road team, and they certainly could have and probably should have against the Lakers. The Thunder won. Um, the uh, the the uh, the Bulls beat the Raptors, um, and then of course, uh, then of course, the, the previous night you had uh, the Hawks beating the Heat. So interesting so far in that regard that three of the four road teams have won. Now another interesting facet of this: the Thunder, even after winning that game have a losing record overall this year, 41-42. and 42. That doesn't count on their regular season record, but I'm just going to add it to their regular season record, 41-42. and 42. And what that means for the Wolves is that's actually not good news. They had a losing record against teams with a, with a losing record this year, and they had a winning record against teams with a winning record this year, and a complete anomaly. Now that there's good news in this, it's that they 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 were three and one against the Thunder this season. They played reasonably well against the Thunder, but these teams have not played for a very long time. The last time these teams played was December sixteenth, a one twelve one ten Timberwolves win at Oklahoma City. So these teams have these are completely different teams from the ones that faced each other the last time they were able to play way back in December, mid December. So I don't really know what to make of this game. I think the Thunder have nothing to lose. One of the youngest teams in uh, in all of the NBA history, um, you know, bringing in a lot of energy. You would think the Wolves will be able to kind of exert their veteran will in this game, um, especially if Rudy Gobert is back, especially if they get some veteran performances again from you know Mike Conley Jr., Carl Anthony Towns. He's a veteran now too. Um, if they can get those kinds of steady performances, they can come out on top, and they should come out on top in this game. I think Oklahoma City is going to be a very good team in years to come, but uh, probably here a year early. But I'd be worried if I was the Wolves because um, the flip side of that is this is a team essentially playing with house money, nothing to lose, playing very loose, playing very well, and that energy, that youthful energy, um, bringing that against a team that's feeling some pressure, feeling the need to get into the postseason like Chris Hine wrote about and tweeted about the other night. This is a team feeling a lot of pressure just to get into the playoffs given everything they've given up, given everything they've done to get to this point. That pressure, we'll see how they use that pressure in Friday's game. Let's finish with the cooler. I can't remember this happening in Gopher Sports history, but uh, the tennis team announced Wednesday, the women's tennis team, that it's canceling the rest of their season because they only have three healthy players left on the team. Injuries just completely decimating that team. You'd think they were, it sounds, it sounds like they're the twins, not the, uh, not the uh, Gophers women's tennis team. But uh, they had, I think they had five matches left. They have to, they have to forfeit. They have to cancel. They only had seven players on the roster for the season. They were five and twelve, and they'd lost eight straight, zero and eight in the Big Ten uh, when they had four healthy players. But now that they're down to three, they've just got to. They're going to forfeit their final five conference matches and not participate in the Big Ten tournament. So that is an interesting development over out of Gopherland. Hope they can get healthy for next season and beyond. But yeah, I can't remember a Gopher team having to forfeit, having to shut down its season because of a lack of healthy players. Hopefully that does not happen again. That will do it for me today. Should have a special guest, Bob Timmons, who writes great, great stuff about the outdoors for the Star Tribune. 
He has a terrific piece that will be online Friday about the 10-year anniversary of the Boston Marathon that's coming up early next week. I'm going to talk to Bob about that piece, about the 10-year anniversary of uh, of the Boston Marathon bombing and just kind of what uh, where, where we are with that, Minnesotans who are running, who ran already. And so I'm really looking forward to that conversation on Friday, and I hope you will as well. Until then, I'm Michael Rand. Thanks for joining me on Daily Delivery today. Back at it again tomorrow.